We are continuing our series, The Mass That We Wear. I'm going to do the weirdest intro ever, but that's okay. We will get there. I'm not, not opposed to going off the beaten path and doing things a little differently. Uh, a couple years ago, there's a picture came out, and I'm sure some of you saw it. If you haven't seen it, that's okay. And if you don't get the joke, that's okay. Um, it, the, pic, the point of the picture said how to offend four different groups of geeks in one picture. Okay, that was the goal. So this is it. Use the force, Harry, said by Gandalf. Okay, that is <laughs> way off. If you don't get it, that's okay. Look it up later. Um, so I had a good laugh over this. I probably shared it. Probably upset a few people. But I thought this was the funniest thing. Um, and then... As I looked up this one, I found out there's a new one. He <laughs> said, four, four groups of geeks is child's play. <laughs> We're going to go for 11. So this is the latest one. Uh, May the force ever be in your favor, Mr. Potter. Um, said by Gandalf again. If you don't, I, I'm apparently not a very good geek. I only can point out nine groups that would be upset by this picture. Um, if you know the other two, if you know all 11, everyone online, throw it up. I would love to know what I missed. Because um, we got Avengers, we got Star Trek, we got Star Wars, we got Sherlock Holmes, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Doctor Who. That's all I know. Um, anyways, the whole point of this... <laughs> If you're, not, if you're not upset by this picture, that's fine. If you are, there's bigger things in life to be upset about. Um, <laughs> the whole point of this is because the mass that we're talking about is very deeply connected to Star Wars, Star Trek. So I want the, my Trekkie guys, I want my Star Wars fans to get that in your mind, um, how... We're going to connect these two things. Uh, but my number one, my first question in light of all of this, what is your favorite movie franchise? Everyone online, throw it in the comment section. Everyone in-house, throw it out. Was it one of the 11 that I picked on in that picture? Is it one that uh, has not come up? Anybody? A couple people. Give me a... Okay, that's a new one. <laughs> doesn't have to be a movie, it could be a TV series. I know there's some like NCIS people out there. Um, oh, that got a reaction, okay. <laughs> wow. Anybody? No? I'm be shy and quiet. We had this talk last week, I'm going to bring it up again. We're Pentecostals, it's okay to talk, it's okay to be loud, it's okay to be excited about what's going on in church. <laughs> Stephen always helps out with that. Okay. Um, Chicago Fire, okay. We well, do like the whole Chicago series too, right? There's those. Yeah, I, Zoom. <laughs> I'm only 90% sure what Jamie said, so I'm not even going to bother trying to repeat it. Um, on the note of like getting interaction from the crowd, I think we need to teach our kids how to be on beat with the rattles. Um, that was almost like, oh, take that clicker. That was almost like the lady with the tambourine who's offbeat, right? That was that, was that this morning. Um, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, anyways, all that said, 
You can be interactive. So this morning, to help us introduce the mask as we've been going through, the first two masks we looked at was the mask of the overachiever, a.k.a. the perfectionist, a.k.a. the person who needs to have a plan, who has to have everything in control, and when things aren't in control, they go crazy, and they're at the mercy of something going wrong. Um, <coughs> last week, that was last week's... Um, Wow, look at that. I can't remember the first one. What was the first one? Anybody? Pop quiz. <laughs> nope. Okay, that's fine. Um, shoot. Anyways, this week, we are going to be in Genesis by way of introducing this, new, this next mask. Uh, you can go to Genesis 38. If you don't have a paper Bible to flip to, um, let us know. I really would like to help you fix that. Um, it is my firm belief that if we are not taking the time to just unplug from everything, get into a physical po- copy of God's Word, and possibly even having a journal to write out what God is speaking to us in those moments, we're missing out on that time with God. Because our Bible does not ding every time we get a text message. It doesn't notify us every time someone posts on Facebook. So I honestly believe we need to unplug and get into a paper Bible. If you don't have one, or if you've got one that's a little dated and it's a little hard to read, I would love to update that for you. So let us know if you need a Bible. We'll hook you up. We're in Genesis 38. Uh, and this is a really weird story. In the flow of Genesis, we kind of look at the main big figureheads of Scripture. We start off with Adam, we go to Noah, and then we move to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Genesis closes with Joseph. But in the middle of Joseph's story, we have this really odd story of involving Judah and Tamar. Now, Judah is Joseph's older brother. He's the third of the 12 sons. Um, and this is a story, if you're only familiar with the Children's Illustrated Bible, this story did not pop up. This is not a kid-friendly Bible, or this is not a kid-friendly story. Um, I will save you most of the details. You can go back and read it if you really want. But here's the gist of the story of Judah and Tamar. Judah has two sons who are now of age to be married, and Judah goes and retrieves Tamar to be wife of his son Ur. And we learn that Ur is evil in the sight of God, and so God kills him. You're done. You're evil. You're done. And in the tradition of the time, because there was no heir to Ur, (laughs) say that five times fast, um, his younger brother Onan would have to take Tamar as his wife to produce an heir that would carry on Ur's name. Now the problem is, is that this first son that Onan and Tamar would have would get all of the firstborn's inheritance, a.k.a. Onan would go from having everything to having to share it with his nephew or his son who would become his Anyways, so Onan decides that he is not going to do this. He is not going to produce an heir. And because he refuses to fulfill the duty of of the brother, God kills him as well. Now Judah is a little worried. It's two sons, one wife, I got one more boy. We're going to keep him away from, Jude, from Tamar, just, just to play it safe a little bit. And so Judah withholds his third son from Tamar, and that brings us to the point in the story uh, that we need to focus on. <clears throat> this is what we read, starting in verse 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah 
Shua's daughter died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friends Hira the Adullamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. So Tamar knows that Judah's holding out. When Judah saw her, he thought that she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. And he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, That, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet, your cord, and your staff that is in your hand. Keep that in mind. So she says, in order to, for that I will know that you're going to send this lamb, I want your signet, aka your signet ring, your cord, and your staff. This is going to be important later on. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So now she's pregnant. Then she arose, went away, taken off her veil, and put the garments of her widowhood on. So Judah goes. He is immoral by all standard, right? This is not a practice that was encouraged in the, in the Jewish time. This was not good, but he has done this, and now Tamar is pregnant. And this might seem really odd that Tamar would do this with her father-in-law, but this was actually the tradition at the time. The Hittite law actually required that if the sons weren't able to produce an heir, the father-in-law had to step in and do it, which is weird, but that was the, that was the rule. So this is Tamar. Tamar is not Jewish. She is from the Canaanite tribe, we learn that, that Judah did not take from his own people. He actually went to the local community, found a woman who was not of the same heritage and faith. And so Tamar's raising said that this is perfectly okay, but she still had to trick Judah to do it. Anyways, keep this all in mind. We're going to jump down to the near the end of the story. Verse 24, about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality, and Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Wait a second. So three months ago, it was okay for you to do this, Judah, but your daughter-in-law does it, and you fly off the handle. Not even like, let's talk to her, let's get the details. Doesn't even ask who the guy is. It's, she's done wrong, she's sinned, let's burn her alive. Huh. Oh, okay, so are you going to be the next guy in the fire behind her? Because you did the exact same thing, Judah. Why are you flying off the handle like this? Why are you coming at Tamar so aggressively when she did the exact same thing you did three months ago? Story continues. As she, went, she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man whom these belong, I am pregnant. Uh-oh. Then she said, please identify who these are, the signet, the cord, and the staff. Judah's like, huh, I vaguely remember something happening three months ago. Judah identified them and said, she's more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son Sheila, and he did not know her again. So Judah immediately recognizes the fact that she is living by, she is done what the Hittite law required her to do, 
And even though, because he was acting wrong, he pardons her of her action and allows her to live, allows her to have, she ends up having two sons. She has twins. And Tamar and her sons are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. She's one of three women who are not of Israelite descent that are listed in Jesus' genealogy because God still moves in unexpected ways and he uses people that sometimes we're not expecting him to use to accomplish the things that he needs to accomplish. But the focus of the story here is Judah. Judah just flies off the handle when his daughter-in-law does the exact same thing he did, it does, and we would say he's holding a, a double standard. He's holding her to a standard that he is not holding himself. Which brings me to my second question. Have you ever been caught holding a double standard? How'd that go? Have you ever been caught having a double standard? And how did that go for you? How did that play out for you? In my experience, not good. There's a lot of apologizing required. There's a lot of making it right. There's a lot of like, either you try to justify yourself or you admit that it's wrong and you need to correct what has been done. Have you ever been caught holding a double standard? Now, I wish I could stand up here this day and say that I was trying to come up with a current events situation where someone's holding a double standard that I could point my finger and say, see, this is a current example. Unfortunately, you go on the news and social media, there's no shortage of those examples. And so I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to name call. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to bring attention to something that we are already all too familiar with, the idea of people in authority, people of influence, people, and that's not just talking about the government, that's across the board, people using their influence, using their, because remember, Judah is the head of his family, so he has influence, he has authority, that's why they came to him. And the mask that I am talking about today, I'm calling the deflector shield, that's the Star Wars reference. The deflector shield, because this is how the mask works. We are struggling, the person who's wearing the mask is struggling with something. There's sin, there's a habit, there's a, um, an attitude, there's a fence, there's something going on in their life, and they just can't seem to overcome it. They just can't seem to kick it. The guilt is eating at them. It's always in the back of their mind. They are, it's weighing them down. And because this thing is there, they become hypersensitive to, the, to any other occurrence around them, whether it's somebody close to them, something in the media, somebody does something similar to what they are struggling with, and they become super sensitive to it. And the reaction is, Something completely over the top, because if they are over the top with it, they are hoping to deflect attention away that I am not associated with this problem. So if I get super mad about somebody, well, I'll use the double standard as an example. If I get super upset about the fact that somebody else holds a double standard, then there's probably a good chance that I have a double standard in some area of my life, and I just don't want you to know about it, so I'm going to get super upset about it. And that should make us a little uncomfortable. 
Because the reality is that that's probably the reason we have such a problem with people in authority and people of influence having double standards, because it shines light on the fact that we have our own double standards. And the one that came to mind as I was thinking about this is parenthood. We like to have double standards parents for our kids. And I'll throw myself under the bus. I can think of how many times my girls are screaming at each other and I yell at them to stop screaming at each other. Wait, what? You want them to stop being loud and scream? So you scream. Okay, yeah, pump the brakes. Maybe I need to find a different tactic. But as parents, how often do we have the shows that, well, kids, you guys can't watch it because you're innocent and you just got to stay innocent. But mommy and daddy can watch the show. Mommy and daddy can tell these jokes. Mommy and daddy can do this stuff. You, you want to find the fastest way to frustrate your kids? Have a double standard with them. Have a double standard. And I know there's going to be times where just due to stage of life and whatnot that there's going to be those exceptions that you have to make for yourself above your kids. But generally across the board, if you want your kids to be happy, if you want your kids to be... And it's not just the kids. And it's not just a double standard. Because what we find is that this hypersensitivity, people who are... um, Men who struggle with porn will be harder on their friends who struggle with the same thing because of their own struggle. They fly off the handle about how bad it is without ever dealing with their own problem. People who have, who have regrets or guilt about how they raised their kids will be harder on other parents about the mistakes that they made because it's not actually what the other parent is doing. It's actually the mistakes and the guilt that they are carrying that they've never dealt with, and so this is their vent. But you don't, they don't want you to know they were a bad parent. They don't want you to know that they're struggling with porn. You don't want you to fill in the blank. They don't want you to know that you, they've been struggling with this, and so they deflect it, and they bounce it to the person. They bounce it away, and there's two ways that they do this. Number one, Anger, and we saw this with Judah. He got so mad, so fast, burn her alive. The second one is humor. We're struggling with something, somebody starts talking about it, and so we make light of it to make sure, to try to make it not that big of a deal, so hopefully we move on and we never get, no one ever figures out that that's actually the thing that I'm struggling with the most right now. Humor is such a deflector. It prevents us from getting real. It prevents us from dealing with our problems. It prote- we just, let's just laugh it off and move on, and we never actually get the help that we probably desperately need. The deflector shield. I don't want anyone to know that this thing we're talking about is actually the thing that I'm struggling with the most. And one of the we talked about parenting. Talk, there's so many areas, there's so many examples of how we could be doing this. And the biggest one that I have found over my years of ministry has to do with forgiveness and offense. I've had so many people come up to me and say, this person is holding an offense, and they're offended about the fact that the other person's holding an offense. Well, maybe we need to deal with your offense first, and then we'll worry about their offense. We need to deal with your inability to forgive so that we can deal with their inability to forgive. Oh, no, 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 I, I don't have a problem. I, I'm, I've forgiven them. No, you have not, because you would not be bringing it up this way if you had forgiven them, if it wasn't a problem for you. 
the deflector shield. Trying to move attention away from ourselves in case somebody figures out that there's actually something wrong. And Matthew and Paul have some really outstanding thoughts. Not Matthew, Jesus. Jesus and Paul have some really good thoughts for us. They shine light. This is not something new. This is not something that Pastor Matt made up. Jesus and Paul dealt with this 2,000 years ago. Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Judge not that you not be judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Why do you see the struggle? Why do you see the thing that's happening in the life of your brother, your sister, your family member? Why do you see without recognizing the fact that it is actually a big problem for you as well? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? Here, let me help you get that thing out of your eye. It's basically what Jesus is saying. This can't possibly go wrong. You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye that you may see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Paul says it in a different way. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob the temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed because, among Gentiles because of you. Jesus also said this in Matthew 23. He's talking about the Pharisees. He said, the Pharisees sit on the judgment seat of Moses. So you have to do, the, you have to follow the teachings that they have, but don't do what they do because they're not even living up to the teaching that they're placing on you. Don't follow their example. Don't practice, practice what they preach, but don't practice what they practice because they're not doing it. The double standard, the deflector, the you who teach this, are you doing it yourself? And this is a gut check for me. Every time I stand up and I'm talking about anything, it's just why I start on Monday talking about it, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and this one is really tough. This one I could be sitting right beside Clay, listening right alongside with you guys, taking notes, because this is, this is not something that I am not above. We all, st- we all deal with it. Sometimes it's constant, sometimes it's sporadic, but we all have these things, we all have our struggles, and we, most of the time we don't want anyone to know that we're struggling with the things that we're struggling with. So how do we take off the mask? How do we take down the deflector shield? How do we stop doing this? James 5, he says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the one and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, everyone's favorite verse in church, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The deflector shield is only necessary as long as we have something to hide. As long as we are trying to make sure nobody knows that we are struggling with this, as long as we have something that we are trying to keep buried down, and it could potentially wreck relationships, it could wreck our reputation, it could wreck something. That's why we're hiding it. So if you don't have anything to hide, the deflector shield is not necessary. You can get rid of it. So how do we get rid of these things that we're trying to hide? you got to bring it to light. And the only way to bring it to light is we have to find somebody in our life that we can practice the thing that James has asked us to practice and confess and bring it to light and have someone pray over us that this thing that we've been carrying, this sin that has so easily entangled us, will stop weighing us down, will stop holding us back, will stop being the burden that it has been for however long we've been carrying it. We have to get to a place where we are practicing confession. It's not just confessing to one another, but it's actually confessing to God as well. It actually starts with God. Jesus, I messed up again. Please forgive me. But sometimes we need to take it the next step and say, go to somebody that we trust and it has to be me, I will be here. If this sets you free from something, then come talk to me. But if you don't want to come talk to me, find somebody to talk to. Question three, what are you hiding behind the mask? What are you hiding behind the deflector shield? Because sometimes we don't even know what we're hiding. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're trying to deflect attention away from ourselves because we don't know what the problem is. And this might be the first, this might be the most important question you ask yourself. What is it I'm trying to hide? What is it that's weighing me down? What is it that is robbing me of the life that God has called me to live? And every time we talk about confession, everybody gets nervous. Because we think of the traditional go into the booth, sh- bleh, uh, spill everything to the priest, and now he knows all of our garbage, and then he sends us out to pray a hundred Hail Marys and whatever. But that's not what confession is. A couple months ago, we did the set free retreat. Some of you were a part of it. I hope you were blessed by it. If we ever do it again, I hope that you seriously consider joining us. And one of the things the Set Free Retreat taught us is the fact that confession is not divulging everything that happened, every little detail, every little story that has to do with this addiction or the struggle or the sin that we've been carrying around. Confession is simply sitting down with somebody that you trust, somebody that you know, and just saying, this is it. Identify it. I'm a, I, I, I lied. I, I had... You know, I, 
I looked at porn. I, I fill in the blank. You don't have to tell them how many times. You don't have to tell them which site you went to. You don't have to tell them what device you looked. You don't have to tell them anything. You just have to say that. You don't even have to, you don't even have to say that. You just have to say, I was immoral. Well, that covers a whole bunch of different things. The reason you don't have to tell them all the details is because you know all the details. God knows all the details. The person you're sharing with does not need to know all the details. The person who's doing the healing, the person who's doing the forgiving, a.k.a. God, already knows. He's already dealt with it. So you don't have to divulge everything, but you just have to bring the thing to light and let the light of God shrivel up and take it away as Jesus says, as God says in Psalms, he's going to take it as far as the east is from the west. It will never come back. We have so often run from this idea of confession. We have so often run from this idea of sharing and allowing people to come into our struggle and praying for us and breaking that chain and breaking that bond and breaking that thing and all the while, we continue to carry these burdens and we continue to have these unexplained reactions when it comes up. And if it all comes down to if we just simply confess it, let it go, and be set free of it, I guarantee that your life would be radically different. I guarantee that doors would open and you would see the world in a new way. I guarantee that you will sense a freedom, you'll feel a weight come off your shoulders that you don't even know what it's like not having that weight. You've been carrying that thing for so long. So the question is, is are you willing to be free from the thing that you've been hiding? Are you willing to let it go? And if you are, are you willing to take the steps necessary to make it happen? Are you going to find that person you can confide in? Are you going to find that person who will pray for you And I've gone way over time, so I've got to stop while I'm ahead. But what are you hiding? What have you been carrying for too long? And are you ready to let it go? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I pray that we would rest on your life-changing forgiveness, that we would rest on the grace that is only found in you. God, I pray for the diligence to hand these burdens over to you, to find that person we could confide in, that person we can confess to, and find the freedom that is only found in you. And it might be hard, it might be uncomfortable, but God, I pray that we see the value in it. I pray, God, we see the freedom that can be found in it. God, I pray that we drop the shield and we stop hurting people that don't need to be hurt. We stop and we start dealing with the things that need to be dealt with. We start opening up about the things we need to be open about. Holy Spirit, I invite you into our every heart that is listening to my voice right now, that you would speak right now, that you would draw things to light.
speak to us, Heavenly Father. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.